Hi guys, welcome to Glitching the Code here on Iconic.com and you'll be able to catch up with this on YouTube as long as they allow me on YouTube and BitChute as long as they process it in time. Um, there's all sorts of things going on there. I'm here with a new guest. I've just spoken to him <coughs> recently. Um, named, He's an author and he's a coach, Carl Vernon. He's been doing some great videos on YouTube, especially going into some of the areas that I work in, in investigative journalism in the conspiracy world, if you want to call it that, the alternative media. Um, what I really like about Carl's presentation is there's a lot of comedy in it. It's very well put together. It's very well spoken. And also it kind of, it presents things in a way that are very common sense in a way that you can kind of get hold of and look at in a way that appeals to your common sense and appeals to your understanding of this is a bit mad, isn't it? Which I think is something that's very British and very English and very important, which we'll get into. Carl, welcome to iconic.com. This is the platform that we're trying to build so we don't have to worry about the censorship, which we'll get into later. Just introduce yourself to the audience and a bit about how you got into this work and how you're transitioning over to this other type of content. Hello, Rich. Yeah, so are you calling me simple? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, I like to... You mentioned comedy early on there. I think, you know, a big part of the reason why I'm always keen to include a mix of comedy and common sense and simplicity is for the people that already know me from an author perspective or from a coaching perspective. These are the ingredients that I certainly work to. So I, I suppose what I'm best known for is a book that I wrote called Anxiety Rebalance, which was number one on Amazon. And that's a book very much about my journey with suffering crippling anxiety for about 15 years. So from my early teens into my young adulthood, um, I suffered with crippling anxiety to the point where I spent months, you know, not being able to leave my home, you know, daily panic attacks and depression and obsessive thoughts and everything around that. And that really, you know, started a journey into some eureka moments, if you like, about what this anxiety business was all about, you know, what anxiety, what it really is. And I looked for help, you know, went down all the usual channels, the doctor, the counseling and all the rest of it. And I just kept hitting brick walls, Rich. I just kept hitting the same brick walls. I'd find something. They would just say, look, take these pills. You'll be all right in four to six weeks type stuff. And I, I, I always had reservations about taking um, medication, certainly on a longer term basis. And although I got to a point where I thought, you know, I don't feel like I've got any other choice here. So I started taking it, didn't get on with it at all. I was more zombified than I, than I ever was, even when I didn't want to get out of bed because of depression. So I was very conscious about not wanting to be addicted to these things and I didn't get on with it. So I had to find some answers, Richard. I had to go out and pretty much find the answers myself. And that's where the book came from. You know, I hit some eureka moments about what anxiety is really all about. Um, and it obviously spurred me onto a journey of discovering more about psychology. I've always been interested in psychology and everything around that. And that really brings us to where we are today, because although I'm probably best known as a, a self-help author and a coach, I believe, Richard, that you've got, you have a couple of turning points in your life. I think you have them if you're lucky, but I've certainly had a few today. One of the key turning points that I had was when suffering with anxiety, 
um, was, you know, being stuck in a hotel room, having a complete meltdown, a breakdown, if you like, and that then spurring on these eureka moments that I talked about and overcoming that anxiety. The next significant turning point that I would say that I've had is coronavirus and where we are in this situation right now and how this has all been you know, panning out and, you know, and, and how it's been affecting us, certainly on a psychological level and, and just seeing how it's affecting us on a physical and mental level as much as anything else, Richard. So um, long story short, uh, what, what happened was as part of my overcoming anxiety, what I noticed was doing things like watching the media um social media being on social media worrying about what people are thinking just consuming the mainstream narrative quite early on i started to recognize that these things weren't doing me much of a favor so i came completely away from it and i actually spent years and years not watching the news i i still don't use social media on a personal level i only use it you know to to put out a message and and do what i do on a business level but with coronavirus coming about, naturally what I did is I started to watch the news just to stay updated, you know. So I came from a completely indoctrinated background of not having watched the news for years and years and years to then starting to watch it on a daily, quite frequent basis. And I think what helped Richard was that coming from that indoctrination, I'm sure you've seen the, the film They Live. Um, you know, he, he, he puts the sunglasses on type stuff, right? I kind of use that, that uh, analogy and that it was almost, you know, it's kind of putting the sunglasses on, listening to the newsreaders, what they were saying, and listening to, you know, from a psychological level, you know, what wasn't being said, and actually being quite embarrassed about it or quite embarrassed to listen to people and the hysteria and literally see people running around like it's the plague run around like it's you know like it's literally um as soon as you get it you're going to drop dead and the hysteria behind that and me sitting there just kind of turning my head a little bit and you know critical thinking and questioning things which you know i think we're in short supply of that unfortunately but i know that there's a lot of people the that do like to think critically and have common sense there's a there's a hell of a lot of us but there's a hell of a lot of us who aren't i'm not saying that i'm judging that because i'll qu very quickly point out richard that i spent years when i was watching the news previously to coming away from it being totally indoctrinated i'd be the person sitting down on a friday night putting x factor on and that would be my, you know, Friday, Saturday night, whatever it was, entertainment. I'd watch a bit of reality TV because that was the entertainment. I'd listen to celebrity gossip because that was part of the culture and the entertainment. Am I judging? Absolutely bloody not because I'm a working class lad. And, and believe me, you know, I was brought up in some of the worst places in Leicester. And, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to be challenged. I know what it's like to, to live at the shitty end of the stick, Richard, right? So I want to make that absolutely clear. So I'm seeing all this, you know, headless chicken type stuff, all this hysteria, and I'm, and I'm asking that question, why, Richard? You know, why? 
because would you agree that that's a very important question to ask yeah of course it is it is and, and it is and i think we can get away from that after you start to do this a little while and understanding you forget those people that you had to go through that journey to get where you are and almost you can become um impatient with people of course it's um it, yeah, it's a massive thing to ask. Why are they acting this way? Well, we know, we know because we've done the research why they're acting this way, but they don't. Thus, they're acting this way. We can see the gaslighting from a mile off. Um, they can't. Um, so what did you start to notice about particularly the mainstream media, particularly the narratives that they spin? Even today, I saw a, a, a guy on CNN um, being arrested. He was a reporter, a black guy. There's all this race baiting going on at the moment. He was on CNN. He was a CNN reporter. I pointed out that it was likely to me, it clearly looked like a, a constructive drama to me. It was just too obvious and it's on CNN. To put that out, I got a lot of backlash for that, but you start to see these patterns. Um, so when you start to watch it, did you start to see, okay, as you say, they live, you can see the signs, can't you? There's the code to this. I think um, this is, there's a divide and, and conquer and I think the more people that are aware of that the better we can start to deal with things so you've just given a classic example of a divide and conquer um, uh, uh, whether it, it's something that is manufactured or whether it's something taking place what's quite clear with things like what's happening at the moment um, with, with, with riots and, and with people in hysteria in the supermarket literally sh shunning people out because they're not wearing a mask and they're you know it's like a pack of dogs on them and things like that i think what's really missed here above and beyond anything else is that there is no power when everybody's fighting against each other and like i say whether that's manufactured or not makes zero difference it's a divide and conquer and i think as part of that um, there's, 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 there's a whole load of, of gaslighting that is part of it. And I don't know if you know, Rich, but gaslighting was something that was uh, a British play. I think it was back in the 1930s, which was adapted into a film in 1944, I believe it was. And the main character, Paula, um, she um, fell in love with, um, I think it was Gregory, the, the other guy was. And this Gregory guy was a, a, a complete arsehole, a massive arsehole. He's basically over a, a series of um, time and steps. What he's done is he's convinced Paula that she's going slowly mad. And it's the irony about this, Richard, I'm just about to release a video today about this, about gaslighting, and I've used an example of, a video that Fauci put out, I think back in March, so just a few months ago, where he's saying how useless it is to be wearing a mask. Um, and then just recently coming back out on CNN to say that, you know, it's a good idea. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much a symbol. So it's kind of like a PC symbol. I'm wearing my mask, you're not wearing yours. And the Karens can, you know, have a bloody good go at you for not doing it, right? In the supermarket, in the park, it just provides. But again, it's all part of this divide and conquer type stuff. You know, as we all bicker with each other, we, we, we're just dispersing any bit of power or any bit of goodness that we've got as a bloody humanity and i know that sounds quite grandiose but it's it's exactly where i believe we're at and i think we're at a knife edge with it and i think just on your point rich about uh, agendas and, and gaslighting and things like that i think what i find most disappointed about 
media and politics and, and why I've decided to challenge some of the narrative and put some videos out and do a few of the bits is because I wouldn't mind so much if somebody came out and just said, we got it wrong. You know, um, we got some more information, you know, this, this face mask stuff, we got it right. We got it wrong. We got it right. You know, just to come out and we'll say something like that, but it's, it's almost like there's one narrative to switch the herd over there. Then they switch the narrative to put the herd over here. And no wonder people sometimes sit there wondering whether they're going literally mad because there's no common sense. There's no practicality about saying, I'm sorry, we were here and now we're over there. It's almost like it's a dependence that nobody's got any memory. Uh, that the, they they hope that there's nobody asking why, you know, and, and when nobody challenges, when nobody asks why, well, people will continue to just be going over here, going over there. And I think it's, it's it, you know, whether it's manufactured or not, Rich, I think it's very important that people start to appreciate that, you know, whatever your gut feelings are, whatever your experience is telling you, whatever external sources there are influencing you and telling you, you've got to trust your gut as much as anything else. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mentioned it to someone else yesterday and I was explaining to them that, that what it is like, it's like trying to understand psychopathy using common sense is not going to work. It's like trying to blow a paddling pool up with a hammer. These people are psycho psychopathic. They're supposed to be confusing you. And we all know the, Anyone who's done any conspiracy theory work knows it's written on the dollar bill, order out of chaos. That's, they want chaos. And, I, and by they, I, for me, I know it goes all the way up to the banking system. It's like anything. If you control the money, you control people. They need money to eat. Um, so the chaos is on purpose. And as you say, you come back to the gaslighting. All that person was trying to do was create chaos within that person to control them. And they were herding them left, herding them right, herding them left, herding them right, up, down. And that's what's happening. As you say, I, I think you're completely spot on. And not many people are speaking about this. The confusion is supposed to produce chaos so they can offer the solution. And the solution will be less freedoms for you to make you feel safe. And that is where we're at, isn't it? So when you talked about you got to the point where you had that moments where you couldn't get out of bed, you were scared to do anything, the anxiety levels. And I've been there. I've suffered from chronic anxiety. And I think most people have to a certain degree, especially now. <laughs> um, we're at a chronic level of anxiety on a global scale caused by gaslighting, abuse, and confusion, controlled confusion. Do you, think, do you see this as a, as a moment where we could go, right, okay, this is an opportunity to grow through the confusion, or we're just going to end up in a clusterfuck and a complete mess like we are at the moment? That's, that's the knife edge. That's the knife edge. And I, and I think, um, I think that's where we are with it. Um, and, and where we go with that, I, I don't know. Um, and I'm, I don't think anybody knows rich. Um, that, cause like I said to you, that's where we're at in regards to the knife edge. I think Dr. Bruce Lipton puts it really well. I think he calls it, um, uh, the, it's the extinction something or other he calls it. I can't remember the exact term of it, but um, the way he describes it is this knife edge that we're talking about. Unless we start to unite more um, and, and stop 
the divide and conquer the is when we look at it from a, a primitive point of view when we look at what fear is you can understand why so many of us are reacting the way that we are because we are just tapping into the absolute basic reptilian part of our brains which is survival why is it when all this started to kick off um the toilet paper went off the shelves why is it that the soap went off the shelves it's because everybody panicked and they literally went straight to the reptilian part of their brain and thought survival and why toilet paper was involved in that rich i've got no idea you know um people used to you know survive on wiping their ass with leaves but um but you know what's that got to do with staying alive i don't know i can kind of understand this soap thing a little bit more that they were ramming down how much we should wash our hands and i can un kind of understand that with the toilet paper i don't know sometimes you can't explain human psychology but anyway the reason why so many of us are acting the way that we are today is because we're literally tapping into the most um primitive side of of our brains the oldest part of our brains and that is survival and um, if we are sitting down and we are just taking in the mainstream narrative, if we are taking in exactly what's, what, what, what's being said to us on a daily basis, then we are going to be petrified and we're going to react on our very basic level. And for most of us, what does that mean? It, what it's meant is literally shutting ourselves in, inside in our houses um, and just completely having our freedom stripped away. Um, and that is both physical and mental freedom. We, and both are intrinsically connected and are as important as the other and as influential as the other. Um, when you're not leaving your home, it has detrimental mental health impacts as well as impacts on your immune system. Um, and, and, you know, when you're talking things like massive social disconnection, face masks that lose identities um the, the mental health fallout of all this sort of stuff if if you weren't dealing with anxiety before it's highly likely you know what the term anxiety means now yeah we, we've been pushed into a corner of anxiety and this is going on decades thousands of years actually this goes on and this has been an input it's almost like they've stepped out of the shadows here and gone okay your abusers come into the room and gone i've been abusing you all along and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And everybody's looked around and gone, there's a load of us and there's only a few of them abusers. But we're so busy scrapping around on the plate. Like if you look at the financial side of things, there's always only so much food on the plate. There's only so much money in the pot. They're happy to let us argue over how much of a chunk we get, but they'll never put any more chunk in there because they have their lot. And this is where we're talking about elitism. So the real separation, the real divide is through the people at the very top that have everything and want everything else. And then a group of us a 99% that have a small pot to argue over. And we'll argue over it day in, day out, whether that's politics, whether that's race, whether that's religion, all of these divides can be used. Even, in, even an argument could be used. Um, but we won't anything to keep us from looking at the ones, the real abuser, the real person who's turning the switches up and down. And I'm not even talking about government. I'm talking about people above the government. So when it comes back to psychology and you're working with people, do you see any correlation or do you see the correlation between how abusers work and how we're being abused on a global scale and spot the signs? 
I feel that's very important for people to understand how abuse works. It's important I highlight the angle that I take here and um, the, the, the angle is very simple. There are two sides to bullying. There's the bully and there's the victim. Um, you can't have that dynamic one without the other. And what, what you've just said there, you know, when I listen to mainstream media and when you listen to the narrative, you know, you could, you could base a lot of theory behind that. But what I always draw back to, Rich, and what I will always draw back to is taking responsibility. And that is an individual thing as much as it is collective. So it's all well and good for us to sit here and say, oh, you know, it's this or it's that or it's this or it's that. We, we as much as anything else, have to realize when we are being victims, victims of circumstance, victims of a situation, victims of the situation that we're in at the moment, it pays great dividends to start to recognize when you are being a victim. So I'll give you an example. When I was crippled by anxiety, Rich, when I didn't want to get out of my bed, if somebody had come along to me at that point and said, Carl, you're being a victim, get the fuck out of bed, get up, just, you know, and, and just take the next small step. You know, what can you do? Even at that point when I didn't want to leave my house, when I didn't want to get out of bed, if somebody had come to me and said, Carl, you're a victim, I would have told them to piss off, even at that point. Because the term victim has so many negative connotations. And rightly so. You know, obviously you call somebody a victim, you're going to be a, a offended by that. But then you've got to start to appreciate what the true meaning of being a victim really is. What does it actually mean to be a victim? When you break down what it means to be a victim, it means that basically you're not taking action. You, 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 you know, that's part of why, you know, when it comes to my coaching, when it comes to my information, when it comes to my books, I'm as much about what can be done as anything else. Okay. And I think when we talk about things like you've just highlighted there, it's a lot of victims type stuff when really it should as just, just be as much about, okay, well, what responsibility can I take on an individual level? And then how could that potentially grow collectively? Does this make sense? Yeah, and I'm really glad we got to that point because I think you need the earlier point to point out what's happening and then you have to move over to this point or that you get stuck in the first part. So I, I completely with you there. And we've what, just what done you a... Said, look, Sorry, you, you, mentioned, you, meant, you mentioned the time elites... Um, Richard, right? And, and there's obviously, you know, it's quite well known in regards to capitalism. Um, it's, it's much easier when you've built a fortune of billions, for example, it's much easier to continue to create wealth than it is to work from zero. I think when we look at capitalism, there are uh, a lot of holes. Um, there's a lot of advantages and there's a lot of disadvantages to it. And when, when you've got a, a few people making a, an incredible eye-watering amount of money, um, there's going to be challenges around that. There's just, I suppose there's two sides to this. One side is that um, there's enough aware people, there's enough people who aren't victims, and yet we still find ourselves in this situation where we are right now. 
we still find ourselves being you know challenged by where we are in our, our our situation by our entire situation and yet when you think about platforms like social media all they really are is a a big amplification of who we are as humans with the the social aspect to it so rather than sitting there uh, you know blaming twitter blaming facebook blaming all these bloody platforms what are we doing as individuals are we feeding into it are we are we using it in the way that allows it to be manipulated you see you know i'm very conscious about the practicalities as much as anything else because where we sometimes think well what can i do that's part of the bloody problem it has to be because to have the notion that oh you know i'm just this little guy and there's not much that i can do and then still feed into the capitalism still feed into the materialism still feed into the celebrity gossip still use facebook and twitter uh, you know and get the endorphin hits you know from getting your likes and all the rest of it and then jumping on it to make sure you're getting more and more and more and more that there needs to be more individual responsibility on things like that because once we do that it starts to become more collective and that's when we can kind of get to a point where we say you know is there something that could potentially change there? Because until we start to change as individuals, we can't change on a grander scale. Yeah, I, I obviously com- completely agree. And, and we've just recently started a series. Um, I've started a series with Richard Glennon about this sort of thing called Scrambled Heads. And it's about the practicalities of what we can do about it. And the first episode was about this lockstep thing, this Rockefeller lockstep thing, and how that imply- how that really happened and how we give away we outsource our responsibilities and that's what i think you're getting at there and it's really important not to just point out and as as of someone who researches these as conspiracies in this world not to get stuck in that and you need to realize you're out everything that's happened in a sense is because you've outsourced your responsibility to someone else and especially right now your decision making even to the fact whether you'll go out home out indoors or not i'm not talking about the consequences you can't help the consequences. If they're going to come and put all this stuff on you, that's on them. But you still have a decision whether you go along with it and have to face those consequences. You still always have a choice. And that's where it comes back down to. Um, where I think where you're you, getting you, at is you, the choice is yours. Yeah. And therefore, the, the power is in your hands. You have to take that back. Or not even take it back. Just don't give it away. Well, you refer, you refer, uh, and I often refer to the matrix, um, and, and the matrix being a construct. Now, a construct is something that is, that is made, uh, uh, and it's something that is made both on an individual and a collective level, okay? But like any other construct, it can be morphed and changed. Um, it can evolve. It can go backwards, depending on however you want to look at that. Now, I quite often like to think of it as a form of a construct because you can almost look at it almost like it's a bit of a game as well. You know, you ask a simple question in your game of life, are you winning or are you losing? I think the easiest um, conclusion that you can come to that um, if you want to ask yourself that question is to ask yourself how generally you feel. Do you feel... Uh, often anxious do you feel highly anxious a lot do you feel often depressed or low mood a lot and ask yourself how you feel because if it's not how you want to feel certainly medium and longer term 
then that requires a change. And for people that might be stuck in certain notions, stuck in certain patterns, stuck in certain beliefs, stuck in certain personalities, because that's what we're talking about here. A personality is something that has been built up over time based on actions and beliefs. And it's just something that, you know, you are who you are today, Richard, because of the beliefs and the actions that you've taken over all this time, it's formed your persona. If you want that to change, then that don't just happen like that. By the time we're 35, 95% of what we're doing is on a subconscious level. In other words, we're just operating from a program. 5% of what you're doing is based on dreams, is based on wants, is based on ambition. That's just 5%. And when you look at it like that, if you want to change, if you want your life to change, if you want to get unstuck, if you want to feel different, if you want on a grander scale for things to be different around you, then that don't happen overnight. Like your personality was built, if you want to be able to change things, it's, it, it's the steady process. And, and it's about being patient with yourself as much as anything else. But if it's a construct, if it's a game, then it just lightens it up a little bit as well, which was probably where the humor comes in as well, Rich, right? So this is, um, <coughs> hey, I mean, frog in my throat um so this comes back to where you were stuck in in, in bed you couldn't get out then that that decision that you had to make that change was then wasn't it then we're at this change now on a global scale so what decisions did you make from then you think okay i'm the only person who can fix this within me to take you back to that time and that transition from in the bed can't get out full of anxiety to the amazing work that you're doing now i mean i'm sure it happened over years but what was the initial launch pad for that change it's, it's, it's a really good question, uh, Richard, and, and you know, it's quite a, a deep question in that there's so many facets to it, but let's just get, get to it. I stopped being a fucking victim. I mean, uh, you know, if you want me to, to, to be blunt, you know, generally, you know, that's, I prefer to just get to it. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's about... Um, it was about some external sources around me, including some of the people closest to me, including my younger brother, who helped me appreciate the true meaning of what it meant to be a victim. Um, and then, like anything else, if you want change, it comes with awareness and education. When I started to lower my defenses about ego, like my ego's right up here, you come and call me a victim, my ego comes up. How dare you? right? I had to knock that shit down. I had to knock that ego down. And with a bit of help from external sources, and then with absolute awareness and education, it was about appreciating where I truly was being a victim, where, where I wasn't making decisions, where I was just laying there and, and wanting things to be different, or feeling sorry for myself, but just still being stuck in the same patterns because although I wanted something different, I wasn't doing anything different. And as much as anything else, it was about identifying the victimhood, but then taking action. You've actually, if you want, if you want something, you actually got to go do it. And I know that sounds a bit self-helpy and a bit cliche. And of course it is, but it's cliche for a reason because it really does make a lot of sense. The more I wasn't doing things, the more I was just creeping into being a person that was like 
you know, not, not wanting to get out of bed that was being stuck in that situation. And let's bring it a bit more relevant to today as well, Richard. You know, it's so easy. And, and if I think about how I used to deal with anxiety, for example, and, and let's put this into perspective, what we're talking about here as much as anything else, Richard, is fear, right? I call it anxiety. I call it worry. You call it what you like. I, I personally like to sum it all up and call it fear. And fear can be represented in many different forms and guises. Um, in regards to bringing it a little bit more present into our current situation, ha having dealt with anxiety like I used to before, when I think about the biggest differences, it's about my relationship with fear. I would have been one of the generals for the panic pandemic previously. I would, I would have been the ones, I wouldn't have been marching out because that, that, that analogy doesn't work quite well in our situation, does it? But I certainly would have been sitting at home in my little box room, probably online, telling people why they should be uh, indoors, why they shouldn't be going out because of their safety, why they should be wearing a face mask, why they should be terrified. And I would have been one of the generals for the panic pandemic. And I call it the panic pandemic because it's been quite clear that we're dealing with two. We're dealing with the coronavirus and we're dealing with what I call the panic pandemic. And they're both as effective as the other, right? But I would have been one of the generals. I would have been one of the leaders of the army on that. So when I think about what it is that's allowed me to change my relationship with that, it's very much the relationship with fear. Very much how I frame fear. Very much how I've been able to identify what fear truly is. And then understand how that creates a victim. Understand how that can put you into inaction and switch on the most basic parts of our brains to keep us wanting to stay in our bedrooms, wanting to stay safe. Uh, and fine. You know, we understand the importance of safety and all the rest of it, but at the same time, where, where does quality of life come into this? Where does, where does enjoyment happiness the whole bloody thing about being a human being where does all of that fit into this pie and i think that's where we are in the current situation as much as anything else rich yeah it brings to mind the scene in shawshank redemption when he sits at that wall and he says we need to get busy living or get busy dying just do something just do something and by do something it means take action for yourself do something or just you're gonna just you're sitting there well, in a way, and I think that's what's happened is people have got one, they've been stunned straight away into nothing, into non movement, into just stunned like oh, rabbits in a headlight. What the fuck is this? Scared, as you say, fear again. They've been stunned, and then they've gone into fear mode, and it's all about how you, your next door neighbor, is making you feel. You're, you're scared, they're responsible for your fear because they're doing this. Stop making me feel afraid. Stop making me feel afraid. And as you say there, and I'm, I'm going to try and incorporate a lot more of this into the work we're doing. That's why we started the Scrambled Eggs pod, Heads podcast even. Because there's all very well looking at these conspiracy theories and they are going on and it is happening. But really what, as you say, what they're doing is they're weaponizing fear, our fear. And really the fear comes from the inaction of not doing anything well, think, for Think yourself. about what you just said. And, and it's so important, this.
just think about the language that you just used. Um, you, the, the term they. Now, I get the without a shadow of a doubt, we are our environment. And there are so many powerful factors in that that can define, dictate and shape. And dependent on even where you're born in the world will define those factors. Whether you're born in Africa or China, or it will all define how much opportunity you've got. It will, and I've, got, you know, like I said, look, I've got zero doubt about all that sort of stuff. The difference between being brought up by a parent who abused you and a parent who supports you through everything is immense. But where does the change come? It comes when you change they to I. As much as anything else, that's where, certainly on an individual level, where you cut out victimhood, where you enable the actions that you want to promote, it starts with changing on a very fundamental, basic level of saying, although I'm in this situation, although I didn't ask for this shit, I didn't ask to be abused. I didn't ask to have that happen to me. I didn't ask for the media to be ramming this down my throat. I didn't ask to go out and be shouted out at the park, which I was the other day by Karen, um, telling me that I wasn't wearing my face mask, you know, and shouting at us because we weren't quite two meters apart. I didn't ask for that. But the more I go home, and, and scream and shout about the fact that there's all these external factors going on, the more I take less emphasis from what it is that I can actually do, who, where I can take responsibility. See, part of my journey is what you've just touched on there as much as anything else, Richard, was when I wrote the second book, You Care Too Much, that was very much based on social anxiety. And that was where I've identified a lot more things around social media a lot more things around worrying about what people think. If you want to talk about something that's been weaponized, then you have a think about how much you care about what other people think. Right? And of course, we can sit here and we can say, well, culture has defined that. Celebrity, social media, materialism. All of these things have defined that, you know, we didn't ask to be brought up in a culture that tells us that you seek people's approval and, you know, you wear that sort of clothes, you look that sort of way, otherwise you're an outcast, otherwise you're a loser, otherwise, you know, you, you, you just got a shit life if you don't do these things, if you ain't got a great car, if you ain't got a great house. We didn't ask for any of that. But when, where do we take responsibility in it? Do we it's, still feed to it? No, no, it's brilliant. It, it's it's a, it's a incredibly important point. Of course, I just shouldn't. I don't even need to say that. Something I would like to pick up with you just then is when does that turn? Because I, what we've seen this in the self help world a lot is people just transfer that, and then they go along to a big event, it's like a Tony Robbins event, and they transfer their power and their their own individual responsibility over to a guru, and it's just kind of like a same thing it's almost like a literally like a transfer over the top of them you speak to me about your 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 thoughts on that of almost like it's almost like a 
a kind of little trick that's done. People think that they're getting empowered, but actually what they're doing is they're still receiving it from elsewhere. Well, I think it's interesting. It's quite Orwellian in the, um, actually you use Tony Robbins as an example. Let's, let's go, let's talk about that. Cause if you want to talk about a guy that is recognized as probably, you know, the leader in self-help, he is certainly that guy. You could argue that when you call a documentary something like I am not your guru, then there's a, you know, it's probably something reversed on that, something Orwellian. Now, I always like a balanced approach, Rich, right? I actually, from a Tony Robbins point of view, he's actually a really, he's a bloody, he's, he's, he's a smart guy. A lot of what that guy says makes a shitload of sense. And actually, you know, when you listen to some of the stuff that he says, if you adopted a lot of it, you, you'd probably come out the other end and be doing okay. The balanced approach is the, what you've just highlighted there is if you go to a Tony Robbins event and Tony Robbins becomes the guy that then changes your life and then you depend on somebody else or an external factor to continue to change your life, you're heading for a fall. There's only one person that can change your life. Can other people have a, an influence on it? Can other people have a impact on it both positive and negative of course they can right including tony robbins including your mum and your dad including your brother and sister including any other self-help guy or anybody that you want to mention we can all have an impact on that but then to just transfer everything onto something means just giving away all your power however you look at it if we look at this in regards to a power shift, retain your power. All your power is yours. It's right there. Feel it. Touch it. You got it. It's yours. And it's up to you where you place it. Where do you want to put it? Where do you want to put your power? Because if you want to talk about you know, energy, for example, if you put your power over there, your energy is going to start to go in that direction. But then just have the awareness and the education to say, my power is here. It's within me. It's my energy. This is me. This is who I am. And if I decide to go over there, then I still possess the power. It's still me that's in control. If I decide to look at that and, and allow that to help and shape and, and, and give me education and awareness... And this is just part of my journey. It's not the be all and end all. And I think what you're touching on there, Richard, as much as anything else, and I've been guilty of this myself in the past, is jumping from one extreme to the next. And that's not going to be healthy for anybody. You know, when we look at it, and when we look, look, look at it in a bit more in depth, to jump from one extreme to the next, it, 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 we're just heading for a fall with that. Uh, it, you know, take a step back in anybody where anybody is at the minute right now and we're all at different stages in our journey right now it would pay for you richard to take a step back because this is what we do isn't it we get wrapped up groundhog day type stuff wrapped up in our lives wrapped up in what we're doing from day to day wrapped up in theories wrapped up in externals wrapped up in why that person's doing this why they're doing that why they're doing this they 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 take a fucking step back and start saying I, right? What, can, what, what am I doing? Because if I feel like that, and I don't want to feel like that, 
then Tony Robbins ain't going to change that. First of all, I'm going to change that. And then if I decide that Tony Robbins' information is actually half decent, then I'll transfer a bit of my power over there to increase my awareness and my education. But I'm not going to transfer my whole fucking being over there. Well, that's just dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, I, I completely agree, obviously. And uh, what, one of the things that will come into mind there is that we're talking about, in essence, responsibility. Do you think um, people are, are terrified as you come back to fear again, a fear of being responsible for their own life, for their own whatever happens in their life? They're going to have to go, shit, I did this. There's an element of, well, definitely right now. Set the scene. Right, Richard, you make that decision. And by making that decision, what it really means is you're going to have to take full responsibility for it, right? In other words, if that decision, if that action that you just take goes wrong, you're going to be in the shit. Now, if you compare that to, I think I'll pass that over to somebody else. Thanks very much. Yeah, I don't really fancy taking responsibility of that. If you compare those two examples, it's it's obvious and evident as to where the short-term comfort comes. But like any short-term comfort, Richard, it's an illusion. It's a spell. Because short-term comfort is brought about by avoidance. And avoiding something bites you in the ass. It might not be tomorrow. Might not be next week. Might not be next month, Richard. But it's going to come. And it's going to bite you in the ass. So that short-term comfort of avoidance that you get by saying, oh, I don't really fancy that. I think I'll pass that over there. It's an illusion. It takes guts. It takes balls. It takes bravery when somebody's bullying you to say, you ain't going to fucking bully me anymore. And to take responsibility of something like that. It takes balls to do it. But that short-term comfort you get from keeping handing over your lunch money yeah, means that that bully's going to keep coming back. Until you say to that bully, you ain't getting my fucking lunch money anymore. It's going to continue. And it takes that level of bravery and balls to be able to do that in that moment. Nobody said that that's easy. Nobody said that that's going to be easy. But it takes that to make leaps and changes, the sort of changes that you want in your life. But coming back to this responsibility thing, Richard, what it really comes down to as much as anything else is fear. Everything goes back to fear. And I'll tell you why. When you don't want to take responsibility, what we are really saying is when we're saying, oh, I'll push that over there, what we're really saying is we fear rejection. We, we fear something not going right and what that means in the eyes of other people. If we don't want to take responsibility of something and we don't want it to go wrong, it's because we're worrying about what other people are thinking. We're worried that we're going to be rejected. We're worried. It's the fear of failure. That's what we're truly saying here. And until you start to identify that that is the true thing holding you back, that what people are thinking, the fear of failure and, and how that is dictating and shaping your life, when you start to become more aware of that fear alone, it has the potential to change your life. So let's go on deeper than that then. If that comes back to the fear, then 
ultimately to me that would suggest that that is implied that fits around who you think you are and how powerful you think you are how little and big you think you are how strong and weak you think you are is it our understanding of who we are as human beings that fundamentally makes us feel afraid yeah uh, uh, fundamentally Richard, of course. And you've just used lots of different examples there because there are lots of di- different examples to define strength. There's the tangible side of it. Well, can you go lift that? If you can, you're strong, aren't you? If you can't, then you're a little bit weaker than you want to be. For example, that's a very tangible example. A more intangible example of strength is very much what it is that you believe about yourself. Now, One thing I've learned about psychology, one thing very interesting, is that the power of belief in and of itself is incredible. When the fastest man on the planet, Usain Bolt, is standing at the end, looking down the 100 meters and looking at the end line before the race starts, in his head, he's won the race. Before the gun's gone off, that guy's won. Right, and if you look at the guys stacked up, they're they're insane athletes. Like you know, they're all amazing physiques, uh, and they're all very similar. And it's like, wow, you know. So what is it that makes Usain Bolt the fastest man in the world? You know, the only only guy that that mentioned one thing to me once that made me think that's quite an interesting one was lung capacity. Maybe he's got a better lung capacity than the other racers. Okay, from a biological level, okay, that sounds interesting. But here's the point. If you don't believe you can win the race, you ain't going to win it. It really is as simple as that. If you're going to win a race, you've first got to believe that you can win it. Usain Bolt is the fastest man in the world, not just because he's physically fit. I bet there's guys on there that train more than him. I bet there's a guy in the world that trains more than Usain Bolt. Has he got something biologically uh, advanced than somebody else? I don't know. But I do know that he, he's the fastest man on the planet because he believes he is. If you don't start believing in what, what it is that... Look at it the other way as much as anything else, Richard. Because, again, it sounds a bit self-helpy. I don't like it. You know, the irony about it is being a self-help author and coach or whatever else that I'm known for best at the minute is there's a bit of irony and I think there's a lot of dog shit attached to it. Right, I think there's a lot of bullshit and a lot of no, and rightly so, especially when it comes to the term self-help. So I'm always very cautious about the message, about what it is that I'm putting out, because if anybody's got any doubts, please remember that you know I've been at the shit end of the stick. I'm not a guy that's coming to you, speaking to you because I've had a rich mummy and daddy. Right? No, you know I, I, I've I've been homeless as a kid. I've been in foster care as a kid. You know I've had the challenges. Right. So I've been at the shitty end of the stick. So when I start talking about things like belief, again, it could have religious or faith connotations. It's got nothing to do with that, as it's got nothing to do with self-help and all the cliche in relation to that. It literally has got everything to do with how you feel about yourself. And you as a human being, your consciousness, your awareness. I don't know all the ins and outs. You know, there's lots of theories about it. But knowing psychology, having studied psychology, I do know the power of belief. 
I do know that if the, the story that you're telling yourself is an incredibly powerful story and it really does pay to step back and have a little think about what that story is that you're telling yourself. So right now, everything we just talked about in that, in that last sort of section, how can that be applied to how people are feeling right now on a global scale, being trapped indoors, even using the word trapped gives away your power. And I understand that, but this is how they might be feeling. How can they turn around in their heads and say, look, listen to this and go take something away from this. that's going to be applicable to their life and uh, applicable to their life and, and make a difference today. Now trapped is a fair term. You know, as much as anything else, I'm about realism. And when you throw around terms like lockdown, it's not done um, with flippance. I mean, lockdown is real. Not being able to see people is real. I mean, of course, you know, thumbs up. You know, it's, it, it's being slightly eased or, you know, you can have a barbecue or whatever else. Oh, great, you know. Um, so it's being loosened. But trapped is a fair term. And because I'm as much about realism as anything else, you know, there's a lot to be said about being trapped. There's a lot to be said about the situation being far from ideal. But when you paint the scenario between somebody who could be in a four foot by four foot room and be as free as a bird compared to somebody lying down on a on a yacht on a caribbean island sunning themselves with a cocktail neck to next to them um who feels totally imprisoned well there's a reason for that and the whole uh, and the reason for that is because we have a lot more control over our perception of freedom and what it means than we might give ourselves credit for and does it mean, you know, being trapped in such a small space, for example, or being faced by challenges or having bad things done or having people do horrible things, all, the, all these negative things that happen, does it make it easier? Does it make the challenge easier? Of course it fucking don't, right? Of course it don't. But then there's still a choice. And it's what you mentioned earlier, it's that word choice. And being deep in victimhood like I used to be, the idea of choices is frightening. Let's go back to the matrix, Rich. When you're chomping down on your steak, why are you going to want to come away from that? You, you, you're challenging a very, you're challenging the psyche, you're challenging sanity. And for a lot of people, they want to keep eating the steak. And it's challenging to put the fork down every now and again and say, you know, what's really going on here? You know, I've had this shit, I've had that shit, I've had this go on, or this is happening to me right now. But where, where is the edge? Where's the space? Where's the part that, you know, where is that small step? And without sounding too self-helpy, the only thing that enabled me to have the psyche that I've got today compared to being trapped in my bedroom is small steps was, was recognizing certain things in, in my life that I wasn't taking responsibility of, including my thoughts and then deciding where I could then take those small steps and then doing it 
while appreciating that that shit had happened to me, that had happened to me, that had happened to me. And I could use all of that. Uh, and it could, these all could all be amazing excuses to allow me just to keep lying in that bed. And let me tell you, Richard, one of the hardest decisions that I, that I made or continue to make right now is putting that fucking steak fork down putting the steak, pushing the steak plate away and saying, Do you know what? Maybe this fucking steak ain't as tasty as I believe that it, it really is. Maybe there's fulfillment in something else. Maybe when I'm running after that car or that house or those clothes or that approval from people, is there real joy in that? Or, or is there fulfillment to be had in something else as basic as going to the park? as basic as reading a book, as exploring knowledge, as, as increasing awareness, in, improving education. Because one of the fundamental things that I've had to learn when it comes to the game of life is that I think part of winning the game is knowledge. Gaining awareness, gaining education. If I continue to spend my life increasing my awareness and increasing my education, I'm winning. And if that's in a box or it's on a, on a boat, on a yacht, I've come to appreciate that those things mean less than gaining awareness and, and education. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Um, it makes total sense too. I mean, there's so much freedom in taking responsibility and the joy of choosing to take responsibility. This has been a fantastic interview and I'd love to do it again. And I think this is very important to do this stuff. I know it's very important to do this stuff. I think anyone who's listening to this will go away feeling more empowered and better and more energized. You can feel the energy you'll take from listening to this as opposed to listening to talking about some of these theories and the problems you, you really do need to be able to come out at the end. And this is what filmmaking happens. There's a structure to filmmaking. You have the problem at the start. You have the complicated action where the world changes and the person goes through the dry, through the change and goes through the new world. They have to get used to. Then at the end, there's a pitfall. And then they, have, they, at the very end, they make it, they make it over the rainbow. They make it back home. We need to get back home in the story and not just stop the narrative after the complicated action started and the problems. And, and I, I'm wary that we're going to get stuck in the problems in conspiracy land and not find the solutions. And I'm really pleased we managed to do this interview because we've moved towards the end of the solution based culmination of the narrative of the story. And I think a lot of people are going to take a lot away from this. Um, Kyle, where can people find your work and where can people find your books, your work, follow you, all your content? It's all carlvernon.com. There you're going to find links to all my social bits on there as well. And just, just on that uh, point as well, Rich, why don't we end with just a little bit of philosophy? Now, what you just said there with documentaries and things like that, these things have endings, right? The, the bit of philosophy is that we're all on a journey. And then when we start to appreciate that there's not necessarily an end, it's a continuous journey and whatever's happening right now doesn't define who you are right now. It certainly doesn't define the situation, but the actions that you decide to take today, even if you have had regret in the past or worry about the future, that's where the anxiety is coming from. The power's in the moment. You're on a journey right now. Take the opportunity where you are on your journey right now, because what you're doing right now does make a difference. And it's a journey. And unlike a documentary, 
you've got this path and you can keep going. Well, cheers, man. Thank you for your time. We'll do this again because I think this is um, a, it's a breath of fresh air right now. Um, it really, really is. Um, guys, go over to Carl's website. Check out his books, um, Anxiety Rebalanced and You Care Too Much. Is, is the two books I can see in the background there. Obviously, guys, if you're listening to this on podcast, you can't see that. So you can get this on iconic.com, the video version. This will be out on my YouTube channel and it'll be out on BitChute as well. Um, Carl, you're more than welcome to share this or the audio version of this more than you like. I'll send you over the file. Let's do this again. And also, we'd love to have you on Iconic doing some more of this sort of content because it's much, much needed. We need solutions and we need to understand there's time to grow up and take responsibility and i really want to do to put that message out there more and more and we've only just started to scratch the surface so thank you for your time mate and i will speak to you soon take care my pleasure thanks richard